Miller trying to clear. Good support there, and Eichel now with a two-on-one developer here. Eichel with Jorgensen's in over the line. Eichel wants it! Savers the lead, three to two. It is 7 o'clock on a Thursday night, January 16th, 2020, Buffalo, New York. A cold day today as I am less than 24 hours away from my third surgery in 289 days. We had an episode about a week ago and I said we'd call it Season 9, Episode 23. It'd be the last one of Season 9. Technically, we put it out in 2020, but I had those interviews left over from 2019, and um, I figured we'll just call it that. So that means this is season 10, episode 1, uh, the 10th season of the Sportscasters, which just had an anniversary. I noticed January 11th, 2011 uh, was the first episode of the podcast, so we've been doing it for nine years now. On the show today, uh, in a second, after we have a special guest here. Uh, in a second, we will talk to Andrew Marchand from the New York Post. Uh, he covers sports media for the New York Post. Uh, he had worked for ESPN covering the Yankees, and uh, he was in that position where he was part of the story uh, for a while, kind of feuding uh, with Mike Francesa. I think Francesa uh, threatened him, told him to come down to the station or something crazy like that. Uh, but Andrew is on. We do about 40 minutes. It's pretty fun. Uh, then we'll take a break. We're going to uh, do something in the book club. I'll tell you about that when we get to it. And then my friend Matt Crossman has been on the show. He was first on the show in like 2012 when he was a staff writer at Sporting News. And uh, then he got laid off and he really focused on being in freelance. And he's a huge Rush fan. So in light of the tragic passing of Neil Peart, uh, he and I spend a good amount of time uh, talking about Rush, our favorite songs, our favorite tours, uh, what the band has meant to us. They've always been a solid top five band for me. Uh, obviously, Pearl Jam being one, uh, they've always fell somewhere in the top five since as long as I've listened to them, which is almost as long uh, as any band. And Matt and I will get into that and reminisce about Neil and also talk about what he's doing on the freelance beat. Uh, we get some perspective there. And then, of course, we'll end with one last thing. I want to thank everyone who reached out to me saying that they really liked uh, One Last Thing last week, which, of course, I titled A Picture of a Picture. Uh, and I told the story of the picture that I take every year at Christmas of my daughter uh, holding a picture that I have of my grandmother. And a lot of people emailed me to say that they really were touched by that story or thought, that it was really nice, so I thank you for that. Uh, sort of along those lines, I thought it would be fun for whatever reason. Uh, she was just kind of walking around, and I said, sometimes it'd be nice to maybe uh, talk to someone on here for a second. So, uh, formerly uh, Miss Caster uh, on the podcast, um, then she became Mrs. Caster, uh, but today we'll call her Tammy. My wife uh, is in the podcast room with me today. What's up, Tam? Hello. 
You're a little bit nervous, I feel like, being on the podcast. You're a little stiff. Well, I don't know what you're going to ask me. Oh, you're nervous about the questions. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking because... I don't know why I was just thinking about this, uh, but I was thinking about our engagement. And um, I think I told this story on the podcast before where I had gotten her ring and like on a Wednesday or something, Tuesday or Wednesday, like in the week. And that weekend we were going to Yale uh, to actually see the um, banner raising. There's a little banner right there. I mean, that's why I thought of it uh, for the national championship banner. And I had talked to my brother and said, I was thinking about proposing this weekend. Is there a good place on campus where I could like take Tammy for a walk? And then he was going to come up with something and I lost my nerve and ended up doing it in the kitchen um, in front of the refrigerator, which is probably the most ridiculous uh, spot. Since you're here, Tam, why don't you tell uh, your recollection of that day and that story from your perspective? Um, I remember getting home from work and there was a lot to do because we were going away for the weekend right. and I was trying to get laundry done and I was walking upstairs and I had a laundry basket full of clean clothes. They needed to get ironed and packed for the weekend and you stopped me right in front of the fridge with yes. my hands full yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then you uh, proposed to me. I will admit that that is about as nervous as I've ever been in my life, which is a little strange because I was very confident that you would say yes. I mean, overwhelmingly confident, but I was scared to death, which was why I did it where I did it. I remember you coming home and it was the first time you and the ring were in the house together. So I think what happened was we bought it during the week but i had to come back a couple days later to pick it up and once you and the ring were in the house all these questions were she's gonna find it it's i'm gonna put it in the love it's every doomsday scenario and then i just totally lost my nerve and just like picked it up and just walked out and i was just gonna i think i was gonna go to the basement and do it but you kind of beat me up <laughs> so our paths just kind of crossed by the fridge and it ended up being a really ridiculous a spot, and I also had a thing in my head I was gonna say. I remember I was gonna say something about the line in Nothing Man about the caught a bolt of lightning, and I didn't do that at all. That just, I, my mind just went blank. I have no idea what I even said. It's a petrifying moment for a guy for sure. We've been married five years now. What's the worst thing about being married to me? It's got to be something terrible. Um, I don't know. Is there a best thing about being married to me? Yes. What? How great of a dad you are. And is it a surprise to you that I'm a great dad? Not really. I knew you would be a great dad. Why do you think we got married? Like, why do you think we weren't just people that met and dated and then stopped dating? Oh, that's pretty deep. Is it? Yeah. I'm just trying to get something interesting out of you, but so far it's very difficult. Sorry. You seemingly have nothing interesting to say. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you, got, you really, I mean, you have almost nothing. What do you think about the sportscasters? I think it's it's pretty cool. What do you mean by that? That you get to talk to all these people 
all the time and you know all these people that are on TV or you just talk to them and then you have people that listen to you all over the world. Okay, let me ask you this. When we were on our honeymoon, we had dinner with a listener. Yep. You were turned on by that, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. No, I can tell you were because you were like, first of all, that kid was nervous, remember? Yep. He was really nervous to meet us and you could tell right away he was nervous. And I think that turned you on. You were like, wow, like this person's nervous to meet this jabroni I just married. <laughs> Put a whole new spin on, on my uh, celebrity. Yeah. I would say it was kind of weird that you were like, oh, we're going to meet this guy on our honeymoon and have dinner with him. Right. Well, we're not in Vegas often. No. And it was a long honeymoon. So, I, I mean, one dinner, I didn't think it was really that yeah. you know, intrusive. Um, his name's Ford. He's a nice kid. Yeah. Shout out to Ford, who still listens, I think. Talks to me on Twitter a lot. Hi, Ford. Yeah, hi, Ford. Uh, it was a nice dinner. I was glad we were able to do that. Um. What would you say is the most annoying thing that I do? Do I have an annoying like habit or tick? Is there something I do and you just want to punch me in the face when I'm doing it? Um, when you don't flush the toilet. Don't flush the toilet. Yeah, I would say my bathroom habits are hideous. Yeah. They're better than they probably were 10 years ago, but I am rough on the bathroom. I think I am a lot better about flushing the toilet. See, one thing that you don't understand, though, is sometimes I will flush the toilet, and especially the one in the that's not the one that's not in our bedroom, mm-hmm. it's not the best at being a one flush thing. So you will come maybe in a few minutes later and think I didn't flush, but I did. The problem is only like 90% of what was in there went mm-hmm. down. You know, it's not yeah. the best uh, system. I'm surprised with... Uh, I'm impressed, really, with the shits our daughter's taking. I mean, she takes some really humongous poops. Yeah, she does. She poops, like, once a week. That's why it's all backed up in her. Yeah. And then it all comes out at once. Although she's pooped, like, three times this week. That's incredible. I'm sure everyone's riveted. All right. You are a bust, officially, on the podcast. I appreciate your effort. I think you just... See, the only way I learned this from Howard Stern, the only way you can possibly be interesting is if you're like really open and honest. And that takes like it takes a while to be willing to be honest. And I'm putting you on the spot anyway. Do you have any questions for me? Um, I don't think so. I didn't think so either. All right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. Uh, we'll come back with Andrew Marchant. We'll do that first. Uh, then we are going to uh, talk to... Matt Crossman after the book club, and then one last thing. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention this. The RSS feed is doing something really obnoxious, and I don't know why or what this is about, but podcasts are, like, disappearing from the RSS feed, and then I have to, like, go and make them private and then make them public again, and then they show up, and I have no idea what that's about. If you know what that's about and can help me with that, I'd appreciate it. You can email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com. I also noticed on Apple, we haven't had like a review in like a year. And most of our reviews are seven or eight years old. If you listen to this show and you haven't done an Apple review yet and you could, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, my friend Peter Winston says it provides social proof. Uh, and that's important, I guess. So if you can do that, that'd be great. 
And the other thing is, is I want to start doing something in this segment, this opening segment in season 10, uh, that is something besides just, hey, these are the guests, this is going to be on, we'll be right back. Maybe give some opinions on what's going on during the week. I'm not exactly sure yet, but I want to develop something that would go here. Uh, And then also in season 10, uh, what I really want to do is I'm going to bring back some old interviews and play like best ofs. Not best of shows, but like maybe every other show, instead of having two guests, I'll have one guest and then the second interview will be something from the archive. We have over 300 shows, which is probably close to 600 interviews. Um, and so many of them are so great. I listened to one from 2014 with Bob McKenzie the other day. I sucked in it, but he was amazing. And I feel like that'd be so cool to listen to again. Some of the stuff we did with Roy McGregor, I think would be cool to bring back. You know, Peter King being on in 2011. I just think there's so much cool stuff in the archive. I'd like to use that a little bit. And also, I want to do that with the book club, and we're going to start that today. And I'll tell you what I mean by that when we get to it. So let's take a break. We'll come back with Andrew Marchant. Then we'll take a break. We'll do the book club. Then Matt Crossman. Then one last thing. All right. Thanks for that. Thanks to Tammy for being on. We will be right back with Andrew Marchant. And our first guest of season 10 works for the New York Post in New York City. He's an Ithaca College graduate. He's making his debut on the podcast today. Really excited to have him. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Andrew Marchand. What's up, Andrew? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's exciting to have you. Um, I've heard you a bunch of times on other shows, and of course I've read your stuff in the New York Post, uh, and I was excited to, to finally reach out. Let me ask you, let's get started here. Let me ask you this. I have admitted uh, on this show many times that I I was a nerd for sports media growing up. I mean, my favorite thing to do on Mondays was grab the USA Today and read Rudy Martsky's column uh, over lunch. And uh, I was just always into this for some reason. Uh, Not that I don't love the games. Of course I do and have my passions with teams and things like that. But I always just love this. I guess now I know it's a beat. I just always loved it. Were you that way, or is just is it just a function of a job? Yeah, I've, I'm oddly that way as well. I can't really. Yeah, tell I don't know why, why exactly, but what'd you say? I said me neither. It's just it's it's an infection we have or something, right? Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Yeah, I can't really explain why I like it so much. It's kind of funny. So I was previously before I, were, I was at the New York Post, then I went to ESPN, and then I returned to New York Post, and, you know, when I was, you know, leaving ESPN, I had thoughts about, you know, uh, you know, I really, I did really want to cover sports media, and the, the joke that I would make with some of my friends is that, uh, you know, uh, you know, because you don't, it's kind of taking a chance, you know, ESPN treated me very well for 11 years, I could have stayed covering the Yankees, um, which is a very good job, very fortunate to have, but uh, the joke was that, you know, I tell my kids that, you know, daddy really wants to write about Joe Buck. Um, so, right. you know, it's some kind of strange thing, um, there. So why, um, you know, 
I, I don't know. I, I've always been here. I wanted to do this. I wanted to be in sports media since I was eight years old, um, you know, as a sports writer, sportscaster. So I don't think at that age um, I uh, had that. I did always read Phil Mushnick, read Rudy, uh, Raceman, uh, Steve Zappay back in the day at Newsday. So I read all those people um, as a kid. Uh, but uh, but I, I don't know. I think when I got to the post, you know, they kind of a team atmosphere. So when I first got there, I just I think I had like a lot of little things that I would pass on to Phil. And that turned into being being allowed to write my own kind of mini column, which is sort of funny to be able to do at a young age, 22, 23 years old, uh, about sports media. And that took off from there. And, and anybody, most people in the business, at least other writers, really, uh, they call me Clicker, which is my nickname, uh, because the original column was called the Sports Clicker. And actually, when I covered the Mets back in 2000, 2001, a long time ago now, uh, Bobby V used to call me Clicker, which <laughs> is kind of funny. <laughs> Good old Bobby V. Yeah, it's interesting because it's like you could have covered you you were covering Derek Jeter, right? But you wanted to cover Sterling. I guess the joke you used with your kids was Buck, which is same thing. Fair, and I don't. There's a difference in lifestyle. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Go ahead. No, no, I was was just agreeing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. There's a difference in lifestyle too. I mean, uh, when you cover the Yankees, you're on the road. Right. Uh, ESPN treated me well, so this is like kind of a low number compared to some other guys. But 150 days a year, you're on the road. Spring training is very long. Uh, you know, I know you're getting away from the cold. You're down in Florida, but spring training is really kind of monotonous, and you're away for a long time. Uh, again, I'm very fortunate to have it. Not, I'm not like complaining, uh, but it's uh, you know baseball. The games are very long. The season's very long. Nothing really ever ends. There's no clock on anything. Right. You know, the free agent signing period, uh, the games, rain delays, etc. So, again, but it's a great job and very fortunate to do it. Just, it's, it's wearing. It's, it's, I would say that sports writing is not a real job. A lot of people work really hard at it. And obviously it supports uh, people's lively, you know, their, their lives and their families. But... Covering baseball is the closest thing in terms of a sports writer to a real job as there is, in my opinion. Right. It's, I remember, I, I don't know if you remember this, when Roger Clemens was at 299, he had a start in Detroit. So me and my friend, we went from Buffalo to Detroit, which it's a good three. If you go through Canada instead of through Ohio, you can make it yeah. in about three hours. And um, we got there, you know, in plenty of time for the game, obviously. And in the, in the, it was an afternoon game, like a one o'clock game. And as soon as Clemens couldn't get the win, we left. We got back to Buffalo before that game ended. Um, yeah, exactly. So that game, like, we 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 saw a good five, six innings, whatever it was. Clemens is not going to get this. We had a three-hour ride home and, and beat that end of the game. So um, I know what you mean about that. Exactly. So you yeah. can never leave. That's right. the thing. And then, again, very fortunate to have it. You're not going there drinking a beer until you're working. And so – it's just a different level of concentration you have to have at the game in terms of enjoyment. Uh, and you have a lot of fun. There's a lot of camaraderie on the beat uh, where, you know, uh, you, you develop friendships, you know, like I had I mean, at, at ESPN, had a tag team partner with Wally Matthews, great guy. Uh, Mike Mazio uh, was on the beat. He also was at ESPN, you know, for a time. Uh, and guys like Brendan Cuddy, et cetera, who – you become very good friends with, uh, but, um, but so you have fun with that and it's good, but it's just, 
it just it's it's wearing it's long it's like it, i credit to anybody who does it for a really long period of time we'll get into some specifics in a minute but let me i'm interested in the mechanics of this too at the post it's interesting because look you have i have jimmy train on or richard deitch on obviously i know that they view the beat from a very national very wide view at the post is there a directive or maybe is there just something you have in your mind as to what percentage of your time is spent covering new york and you know wfan and 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 the 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 daytime you know francis all the drama that's been going on there versus okay tony romo is a free agent or you know monday night football might read build the booth or Olympic rights, you know, where is your balance in terms of national versus local um, at your spot uh, covering the beat? We'll keep calling it the beat, I guess, uh, for the post. There isn't really, I, it could be, it's been obviously a lot of WFAN of late because there's been a lot of a change and turmoil. And so that's been occupying my time. Uh, but there's no real set rule. Like I could write national for the next year and I don't think anybody would be like, oh, we need some more local stories. It's not that. It's, it's really we're digitally focused. Uh, obviously, everything appears in the paper as well. Uh, but, you know, the idea is to have as many good stories as you can have, as often as you can have them. So uh, I'm always working on things. I have a list on, a, you know, in my, on my computer of stories and things I've heard and kind of things if I, uh, someone mentions something to me, I keep that in mind. And that's you know, list is always growing. And the difference, the one thing that I will say is, I love it, but it is more challenging. When you cover the Yankees, uh, there's a game in front of you every day. So at the end of the day, Aaron Judge, it's a three-run homer. You can write about Aaron Judge. That with media, there's nothing. It's just a blank slate. And so to make it interesting, you have to work at it and make calls. And um, I try to make as many calls as possible and talk to as many people as possible. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the, uh, uh, the key to everything. But to, in terms of percentage-wise, it's just whatever is the hot story, and uh, those are the ones that I kind of go after. But a lot of times I know things for a long time that are sort of breaking news, but, like, I'm holding off because I'm trying to find out more. Or I think it's, you know, I also, it's different in the sense of, like, let's say the Yankees are signing, you know, Derek, Derek, Derek Cole, um they wouldn't, you, you, you know, you're going to give every little uh, move that happens. They met, they did this, they did that. As long as I know things, and it's like, it is sports media, and there's a lot of interest, huge numbers and a lot of interest. But uh, I don't know if everyone wants to know that you know, they met with this guy. If I know, it's fine, but it's not really worth the story. Are they making a deal? Was it all, you know, it's like, it has to be a little bit more, in my opinion, more uh, progress and things for, to, for right. me to write about. As long as I know about things that are going on but I may not write about it. Okay, I'm going to do my best to get the idea in my head into a question, and you could answer this or not or whatever, and I promise it's not a political question. I just wonder, for someone who has a non-political beat for a paper that is often polarizing for its politics, and I promise I don't even know yours, so again, it's not a political question at all, do you ever have any pushback, or is there any ever... Uh, and not from uh, your bosses, but from readers or, or from people who um, you need to support what you do. Is there ever any fear in your mind? Or is there any do you I'm, what I'm trying to ask you is, does what goes around outside of your control in terms of 
the paper and how it's perceived by others? Does it ever affect uh, you or does it frustrate you at all? Or does that, is it just more tunnel vision, nothing you can do about it? Roll on. Do you kind of know what I, I don't think I had the talent to pull that off, but I did my best. You kind of know where I'm going or. Yeah. I mean, like to answer your question, um, like, no, no, I, you, when I work at the New York post, uh, it's been around for more than 200 years and, uh, they definitely, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an in your face type place. So, uh, you know, more so than, um, than maybe other places like, you know, New York times. Uh, but yeah, I can only speak for what I do and the people I work with right. in sports and like, you know, it's a very good crew that we work with and they're doing the right thing. And so, no, to answer your question, you know, um, I I can't speak for obviously everything that happens, you know, in the paper, but just as ESPN and Disney, I can't, you know, I couldn't speak for everything that happens, you know, in the, uh, with ESPN or Disney. So I guess to answer your question, uh, they I'm treated very well and we do things, um, you know, all is good in terms of, uh, uh, how we present things. So, uh, you know, if they're, so I guess you're probably, I think getting into the politics of things, um, you know, sometimes I agree with things. Sometimes I disagree with things, but that's not really my realm. Right. So it's like, uh, you're associated. I mean, I work for the New York post. So sometimes, yeah, they'll do something you might disagree with, but that's, I think, true of anywhere. I mean, when I was at ESPN, there were things that had happened. I'd be like, yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Right. So it's uh, so I think that's going to be the case if you're getting a paycheck from any major corporation. That some are better than others, but uh, um, you know, it's part of the gig. Fair enough. Let me ask you this, and uh, you got me thinking about this when you were talking about uh, what's unique to this beat. And um, you know, when you were working baseball, I'm sure the idea of you know, someone on the Yankees like uh, Jeter or, you know, whoever, Judge, whoever was the star of the team at the time, kind of making you a part of the story probably would have horrified you. But I'm sure to some extent it excited you um, when Francesa versus you was kind of a thing for a little bit. Maybe not that you wanted to necessarily be a part of this story, but I'm sure becoming part of it wasn't as much of a bad thing on the sports media beat, obviously, as it would have been in baseball. Do you agree with that? And, and what were your feelings when you were kind of getting talked about uh, on the air and, um, you know, having to, when having your, your work challenged almost by Mike and uh, how did that feel? And, and um, what was it like being a part, a part of the story, which is really foreign for someone who came up as a journalist like you did? It happens. I mean, when I was 25 during the Mets, Ricky Henderson sort of threatened to beat me up. <laughs> So the AP wrote Ricky. about that. So, it, yeah, I mean, he kind of, it was like a really non-threat threat, but it got a lot of publicity. You know, I was asked to go on TV. I declined them all because there's really nothing to talk about. But it wasn't, and Ricky's good. I think Ricky's a good guy. I don't know if you remember it or remember me, quite honestly, because right. uh, he's you know, done a lot in his career, and I don't think that was like a big thing. Although he ended up getting released that day. Uh, that's towards the end of, he was at the end of his career. Uh, so, um, so it does happen. Um, and then when I was with the Yankees, Cashman uh, said to me, uh, you know, STFU, but to A-Rod. And so, you know, you're kind of a part of that story because it was obviously a big deal. And the quote was only to me. Uh, but with Mike, 
I mean, was it, it excited? I wouldn't say it excited me. I think that it does help you in terms of your name getting bigger and it makes your platform maybe larger and there's more focus on you because, because it became a big story. And uh, Mike's obviously a legendary figure in the radio world. And so to be going sort of one-on-one is some, you know, is a thing. And then from the challenge me and I go down to the studio, but I don't think I had much of a choice with that, you know, because he's kind of a name caller and, and sort of, uh, if I don't go down there, I think he's calling me names. So it's, uh, I had little choice with that. Um, so, but I mean, if you're going to ask me, was it good for my career? Yeah, it's probably good. I'm Mike and Chris actually, it's kind of funny. I forgot about, <laughs> I've had a couple of these before. So when I was like 23, 24, before I was on the Mets, when I first started doing that switch quicker thing, um, I'd written some, I wrote like something nice about Joe Benigno. I went uh, overnight with him and I did a couple other stories where I took a little shot to Mike and Chris. And so they had me on Chris Carlin was the, um, producer producer, and he kind of did me wrong. He, uh, called me and I was like an agate clerk at the post at that point. I was writing columns and doing other things. I was an agate clerk. So basically that means you did the statistics pages, right? You know, low level, you know, uh, position. And Carlin calls me up. And he's like, Mike and Chris want to have you on. It's like, okay, fine. I figured it wasn't good because I didn't know what I'd written, but they're just like subtle shots. And like, I'm in the middle of the newsroom. I'm 23. I got no clout in here, but I'm in the middle of the newsroom, a bunch of veteran people around and they just throw me on the air. So I'm on the air and they're like screaming at me. Basically Mike, like almost swore at me. And <laughs> I, I wish I had that tape. I really would like that tape, but I don't have it. Um, so I don't, you know, uh, but that would have been a big, <laughs> that was today. That would have been a big, big deal, uh, because we really did go at it. Uh, you know, and since then I've written very nice things about Chris since I've come back to the post, you know, I thought him, you know, he's zany. Um, and, uh, and Mike, we did talk a couple of times when I came back, but then that, that ended, which, which is fine. I and mean, he tries to make it as if like I'm begging, you know, he, right. <laughs> he's not exactly <laughs> the most truthful guy. Uh, but. Um, so to answer your question, uh, it was interesting and a lot of people do bring it up, but, uh, it's not like, you know, you get the, you're obsessed. It's like, no, I cover sports media. So I write about it. He's, he's very, he's a fascinating guy. Uh, and so, uh, so you, uh, that's what I tend to write about when I cover the Yankees. I wrote about A-Rod a lot. You write about the, you know, the most fascinating story is what I'm going for. No, that was great. Thank you. Uh, you got more. Out of, I got more out of that than I thought I would. Let me ask you that. Let me ask you a few real quick ones, just because I want to kind of a stat, so that we're kind of on the same page. I know exactly where you're at. Um, a couple quick opinion ones. I'm just curious what your opinion. Do you think the Mike and the Mad Dog Show is the greatest sports radio show of all time? It's up there. Um, it's you know I think that's a subjective. Like right. to me. It probably is because I'm from here, okay. but I think if you go around the country, I mean, Jim Rome has had just as much success, if not more, than Mike and Chris. Right. Okay. Uh, I was so, just asking subjectively, though. So, okay, perfect. I was curious. Yeah, what your so I'd was. probably say for me, I mean, there's some, there's a hole, there's there are holes in that show. You know, Mike's full of it. Uh, Chris can say some stupid stuff, uh, but they had there was a dynamic, there was an entertainment level. And I've called it the most iconic local sports show uh, there's been. So 
I just think it's a different animal when you talk about national. Fair. Uh, but in terms of FAN and local shows in New York, there's no doubt it's the number one sports show. Do you think, true or false, I'll make a statement, you tell me if it's true or false. Chris has done more to boost his legacy post-Mike and the Mad Dog, while Mike has done more to, to hurt his legacy post-Mike and the Mad Dog. Yeah, but I'm not a legacy guy. Okay, that's you know, right. Not, that's right. I, like, like, I'm just not a uh, like. I could like personally. I just like whatever. You're dead. You're, when you you know what I mean. Your legacy is like when you. I mean, you want a nice legacy. Don't get me wrong. I'd love and everyone would like a nice legacy. But to answer your question, I think Mike the last few years um, has been a little bit more exposed to that publicly to things that probably used to go on more behind the scenes at FAN, and now people are sort of seeing uh, the you know the the shades are up, uh, and so. Uh, that's uh, that's hurt his legacy, and Chris has sort of had a uh, rebound. Where when he initially left, there was a little feeling of like where did Chris where'd he went go? to the radio nowhere. Right, where did he go? Yeah, yeah. As, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, uh, but yeah. So I'd probably say true to you. I say give one or the other. Uh, this is something kind of to piggyback that, and uh, Jimmy and Neil both talked about this with me, and I'm curious about your opinion. Do you think Mike made a mistake not aggressively shutting down Funhouse? Um, I know he, we we all kind of agree that he had the power to probably shut those videos down, and I think oh, they yeah, did. Totally. Yeah, I think he shut that down. Yeah, and they Talk did for it. a period, right? I recall. I think that they. Yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't really FAM. There's like a. It wasn't really like. It, I don't even know the exact story, but it wasn't like they shut it down. It's, they kind of put some pressure on the kid, like, whatever. The, no, no, I just think it was like a misunderstanding. Like someone made a mistake who didn't really. Okay. They, didn't, they might have been their job. I don't know. Again, I don't know exactly. But it wasn't like it came from above and someone said, you know what, let's get rid of this. Gotcha. And then they gave it back. It's not. That's not what happened. Uh, the, I, I guess the question. So to answer your question, should they have got rid of Funhouse? Because um, the argument, the, the argument was always. I'm sorry. The argument from yeah. Funhouse was always like. Hey, you'd be crazy to shut this down, right? Like this is publicity. Any publicity is good publicity. No one else would be talking about you if it wasn't for this. I always kind of disagreed with that, and I thought that what happened was is there was a little bit of exposure, and it, it felt like it kind of turned the tide a lot on the perception of Mike. You know, like pre Funhouse, there was the convention, and um, you know he had be kind of come up to this like mythical figure almost. Like, and I feel like it was just a mistake in my opinion. I'm just curious what yours was you know, in retrospect, with the benefit of the hindsight? Well, I think Mushnick has been writing this forever. Um, so it's not like this is new. True. That, you know, Mike says one thing. Now, I do think it's more powerful when it, you see the video. Right. And, you know, one video is showing him uh, saying one thing, and the next video shows the opposite. You know, that's very powerful, uh, you know, compared to... Uh, um, uh, compared to, uh, if, you know, if you're just writing it in, uh, in, um, if you're just writing in the paper. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where you, um, it, it has kind of hurt them, but I also don't, it keeps them relevant. Like, cause my thing is the, the problem I would, I would say is that only like about 60% of the videos are really fair to Mike, right? Like if you post a video that says, you know, in, in March 1st, Virginia has no chance to win the tournament, and then they win it. That's totally fair. If you post a video during Lamar Jackson's freshman year where Mark, where Mike says, you know, his skills don't really translate as an NFL quarterback, and then, you know, that opinion, like, it shouldn't be 
you have to stick to that opinion forever, right? We get more information, you know, where these videos sometimes would make it look like just a snapshot in time. Like Mike has this opinion, then he has that opinion. Um, so sometimes I think those videos really worked against him and made him look like a bigger buffoon than he might be. Um, but it's, it's, I guess, an interesting debate because there is the relevancy thing, like you mentioned. Although, did he ever have an issue with relevance? I think the show wasn't very good after Chris left. I mean, the mic alone doesn't really work. and He just became more and more uninterested. Right. And he doesn't really like callers. Like, it wasn't a good show at all. It wasn't. It's, just, it's Mike and the Mad Dog was, like I said, legendary show. Right, but the sum of the parts will Mike's always be show better. Just came out, if it wasn't Mike and the Mad Dog that preceded it, you had that legendary run with Chris bringing out the best of Mike, then he just put Mike Francesa on the air. I don't think that would have been a successful show. Right, it's kind of like... If he just had it out of nowhere, never been on before, he put Mike Francesa on doing the show he did after Chris, I don't think that would have been a successful show. You wrote... I hope it, it was you. I'm pretty sure it was you. Uh, wrote that him losing that last book. You, you, I'm a, uh, I, be, I want to be careful how I, because I, I don't remember the exact, it was like the last eight words of the column. You know, you kind of summed it up like, you know, losing this book, it's going to be the last thing everyone remembers. It's a big stain. Um, I don't remember exactly how you put it. Uh, but personally, I think that no one will ever remember really that he lost that last book. Um yeah, I don't think I wrote, like, yeah, what you're saying, I don't think. I said Okay, clarify Michael for me. Kay, Michael K. yeah, Wanda said he wanted to put a black mark on his legacy. Okay. Which he did. He said that to me when he first came back. And so he did do that because, I mean, I don't want to get into <laughs> streaming, non-streaming stuff, but. He only beat him once. Book, That's my opinion. No debate, streaming, right. non-streaming, whatever. Right. That that was there. He um, beat him fair and square the one time here's for the sure. Thing. Mike, Mike, again, I'm not a big, like, his, like, yeah, I agree. It's, like, people always like to bring up, like, and I'm not comparing the two here, but Willie Mays with the Mets, right? Right. That I don't think year. anybody really thinks about, but, what did you say? Yeah, that last year in that odd uniform, right? Like, yeah, exactly. what happened to but our people hero? People bring that up, but I don't think right. anybody really, when you think of Willie Mays, if I said Willie Mays, you think, one of the, you know, he's one of the great players of all time, maybe the greatest, you could argue. And so nobody's, like, you don't really think about the Mets. And so... I don't think that I agree with you. I don't think it's like, well, he lost the ratings, but I know it's important to Mike that if he could have said he won every book. The other thing is about the ratings. First off, it's not a very good system. Number one. Number two is Mike and Chris, you know, had a humongous head start for years and years, a legendary show. And they were on 660 and ESPN for years and years was on 1050. That's not a fair fight. You know, that's not, right. that's like, it's just not even close to a fair fight because people can't hear one station and the other station you can hear everywhere and far beyond the area. Plus you're an iconic show that starts. So, so like he loves to say whatever 60, and know, or 80, whatever he says, 82, I forgot what he says, but 60, and know, it's like, well, yeah, maybe, but, uh, the first 40 were, uh, gimme. And so then the 20, then it got closer and closer till he finally lost. So it really was closer. Again, then, you know, I, I, because of what happened with Mike, then people are like, well, you know, like Mike, it's like, no, that's not it. I'm just, this is, that's the reality of the situation. And even now, when you talk about terrestrial radio and you get into that streaming thing, it's FAN has two stations and it makes a difference. They have 660 and they have 1019 
uh, and they're the incumbent station. Uh, so the fact that Kay came up and really crushed them in that uh, last book is significant. It doesn't mean anything. None of this means anything, honestly, right. to me. I mean, I love it, like right. we talked about, but I, I mean, it's really important. Not really, I, but I, I do love it. So, I mean, but I don't think like, like I think Mike has a big ego and I do think it's bad. Like to me though, if I were him, I'd be like, oh, yeah, fine. I did. I did great. I don't really. So I, I lost that last one and I kind of lost the last, he, he might really know he lost the last three too, because again, I'm not getting into the whole streaming versus non-streaming stuff, but, um, but uh, it was going this way for a while. And then he, he got caught that last one for without anybody can no right. asterisk. Or nothing. Right. My opinion just if you, you probably don't care, but my opinion is he lost fair and square once. No, I care. He, he, he won the other ones, in my opinion. You got to if if they're counting their streaming, you got to count theirs. Um, my opinion is he lost one fair and square and won the others. Um, Howard Stern has been complaining about that, like was complaining about this when I was in high school, right? This rating system. So uh, obviously it's flawed. Yeah. We know that. You know, people have been screaming about it for years. I I actually I listened to a lot of um, old Howard because I. You know, don't listen to New Howard anymore because it's, in my opinion, terrible. Um, but I was listening to one where he was number one in uh, L.A. on the one rating book. And then the next rating book, he had fallen to two and the Spanish stations had beat him. Uh, it was a significantly strange jump in numbers. And uh, he just went on this great rant about, you know, the ratings and about how, you know, like he's apparently lost every single Spanish speaking listener in one ratings book and. Uh, he did it a lot better justice than I would be able to do it here. But um, uh, point being, it's obviously been a flawed system for a long time. The sportscasts are here with Andrew Marchand uh, from the New York Post. Uh, it's the first time. It's great to have him. I had a hundred things written down, um, and we kind of sucked the life out. Of, we 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 sucked the time away talking about Mike and uh, Chris, and because that, well, they're the stars, right? The, and that can happen sometimes. They're the uh, man. They're just so infinitely interesting. I hope there's at least another chapter to be written about both of those guys and uh you know obviously i as part of my prayers every night i pray that there's somehow at least one more chapter to the mike and the mad dog story hmm. um i know you're pretty much out of time i've already taken more than i asked for uh let me hit you with let's like yeah yeah let's go another five let's ask you a couple quick ones uh the big story in sports media is going to be uh, after football season ends, it's going to be Romo, right? Uh, your prediction, does he stay at CBS or does someone find a way to pry him away from there? Yeah, I, mean, I think Jimmy, he did this on Jimmy Trainer's podcast. I don't really have a prediction. I will say that he's going to be rich. ESPN is going to make a huge run at him. CBS obviously wants to keep him. So it will be interesting to see what finally happens. So I don't know which way he'll, <clears throat> he'll end up. CBS, I'd say, is the favorite because – you know, he's comfortable there. And so if the money's even, I would think he would stay at CBS. I don't see why you would change if that were the case. Um, but the money might not be even at the end. Right. ESPN might blow CBS away. And if they do that, then he very well might go. So uh, no real prediction, sorry. But I, that's, the, that's what will happen. I've been thinking about it, and I just wonder, you know, how much do they have to blow him away by? You know, because obviously this is a guy who made a lot of money as a quarterback. You know, um, you know, I wonder if it's like say seven versus ten a year. You know, does he say like, "Oh, CBS gave me this shot, and I love working with Nance," and you know, if yeah, you know, I, six, I just seven, wonder that. Like, ten. is there a if way it's to six, prime? Seven, ten, I bet you, who if ESPN if there's six seven versus ten, he'll go to the ten. 
the thing is people mistake is that these guys made a lot of money. They want to make more money. Number right. one. Yep. Number two is there's an ego thing where this part, this place thinks I'm worth this and this place thinks I'm worth that. And it's like, well, why don't you think I'm worth it? So let me go. They, they care about me more. And thirdly, people like to have more money. So, Fair. um, and like the numbers you're saying is a significant difference, 10 to seven over a three and what might be a six year contract. Um, is a significant difference. Right, that's so, almost 20 uh, Ultimately, yeah. yeah, ultimately CBS has the right to match. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to, the decision's going to probably lay with CBS uh, because they'll be able to say, we want to match. And I think Tony would want to stay um, unless something were to change. Uh, so uh, at the end of the day, I think it'll be CBS's decision, quite honestly, to, uh, to, uh, if he if they keep him or not, I was talking. Tough. I mean, if the numbers get the numbers get too high, they might might have to say, you know what, this this doesn't make sense for us. We love Tony, but this doesn't make sense for us. Right? If they walk away from the SEC, right? Maybe they. they I don't see why they couldn't walk away from Tony Romo. I was I was talking about this yeah. with a listener, or yeah, some listeners on Twitter. I didn't really know the. I thought that was a good question. I didn't know the answer to this. If you're ESPN, um, or even if you're CBS. How much of an effect do you think Tony Romo actually has on the ratings, right? Like if next year Tony Romo's Yeah, no, he doesn't. The... No, he doesn't have an effect really on the ratings. No. I mean I think it helps a little bit. Okay. I think there are games like when they did so well in the AFC championship game last year, obviously they're gonna get a humongous number, but do they get a little bit better number because he was so on top of it, making it so interesting and bringing people in and maybe getting people texting their friends that you know you gotta watch it? Maybe. But there's there's value to it. It's just not like, um, well, the ratings. It's just it's a perception to the game. It's important to the NFL. Um, you know that you, they're putting on a top broadcast. So, uh, is it? Can you say, well, they they make this one? No, it's, that's not exactly it. And could you argue you could put anybody on there and the ratings would be the same? Yes and no. I mean, there's just a glamour to it. There's a feeling when you have. Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and what they do on NBC, along with the best games, which they get, uh, that that's big. You know, it feels big. Uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, what they did on Thursdays, it feels big. So I do think if you're ESPN and possibly ABC in the future, if that's where Monday night ends up, um, you want it to feel big. So that's kind of the the issue, not necessarily that you're going to get more people to watch. All right, last thing. We'll just do this for fun. You can rank this for me. Rank me the four, and you think best to worst, the national NFL boots right now, the top pairs. Rank them for me. So Sunday Night Football, Monday That's, Night Football, oh. CBS, and Fox. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Because uh, I'll tell you this. Like, I, 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 I like, 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 I think Al Michaels is the best play-by-play guy. Okay. Um, I, I put Iron Eagle in that league. I think Joe Buck's there um and then analyst wise i would say um romo's one um two probably go aikman um but and then maybe collinsworth you know they the problem that they have is that they haven't developed the box and cbs i think it's going to change shortly they haven't developed enough depth you know, in their crews. So um, it's not as deep. You know, I'd like to tell you, like, here's a number four guy who I think is, like, really, really 
amazing. And there, there are some good ones, but there's nobody who I'm like saying like this guy just sticks out to me at the moment. Oh, I put Burkhart too when I did the playoff play, guys. You know, um, it's crazy. So, go ahead. No, I just want to say because I think Burkhart is unbelievable in the studio. And I'm a huge yeah. – I've been a Saints fan for over 30 years. Um, so I watch a lot of NFC football, obviously. I do not enjoy him at play-by-play. I don't know why. And Deutsch kills well, me for it. he's better in studio. There's no doubt he is better in studio. Yeah. Very likable. Yeah, um, I love him in studio. Love him. But, yeah, I, look, I would say he's better in studio than he is at play-by-play because it's just I think he hasn't had the reps. I mean, he's done it in a while. Uh, but I think, he's, I think he's very good. I think he sounds a little bit like Al Michaels, right? You know, I, but um, he doesn't have the reps as uh, um, that's why he did. He did. I wrote a story. He did like in, for baseball. He did some raised games last year, trying to get those reps up. Uh, but but he's good. You see, I, the thing is about him. Um, Iron Eagle Green does this to an extent. They're, they're very like they make it about the analyst, not about themselves. They try to make the analyst look better. Fair. That's why yeah. their partners all really like them in general uh, because they try to make their partners better, not try to just make themselves look better. I think Kenny Albert's the most underrated guy. I love Kenny. I think yeah, he's, he's very great. good. Kenny's yeah. very good. Versatile, very good too. Kenny. All right, I left the last minute just because I'm sure you have a lot of questions for me. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, what's the deal? How many, no, I got one. I got one. Right. How many years have you been doing this? Uh, I started in 2011. Peter King, I asked Peter King to be on. He said, I don't know what a podcast is. I had to tell him. So I started way back, back then. Yeah. Yeah, 2001. Yeah, yeah. All right, good for you. And <laughs> what do you do? Do you, uh, do you do this for like, or is this just a fun no, thing to do? No, this your is deal? just a fun thing to do. I, I was a Buffalo public school teacher. And um, in 2010, okay. I got really sick with Crohn's disease. And um, I was okay. going to need to take some time home. Um, so that's kind of why right. I started the podcast because I wanted to fill kind of the void. I didn't just want to go home and cry about how bad my Crohn's disease was. Um, so I kind of started doing this. And um, then in 2014, uh, Sports Illustrated named it one of the best sports podcasts of the year. I was the only independent on there. So I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I didn't want to stop doing it. And I was starting to feel better. I was going to get ready to go back to work. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to probably have to stop just when I think it's kind of getting good. And then I got real sick again and didn't go end up going back and still haven't made it back. And I'm having my third surgery in 289 days next Friday. Um, so it's this and uh, it's this for a while yet. But um, really, it's just for fun and passion. I mean, I don't make any money or anything like that. Um, but. I think maybe it's a modern day. Yeah, you know your stuff, though. You know your stuff, though. It's good, man. Yeah, I think maybe I'm like a modern day trade magazine uh, for sports media in a way. <laughs> Even though I do a lot of other things too, like I had Greg Prado on last couple weeks ago because I wanted to talk about the Soundgarden book he wrote. You know, so sometimes I'm a little self serving. Okay. Like I just want to talk about that. So screw it. But yeah, um, it's yeah. but um, it's a- Andrew. What's your uh, Twitter? It's at Andrew Marchand. Okay, and then of course you write for the New York Post. And is there anything else you want to plug? Um, no. Okay, we'll do this again though, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I have I'm your number now. With your surgery. <laughs> Thank you. I have, your, again, I have your number now, so I will be. Uh, you'll be regretting that you gave it to me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. <laughs> only, only Joe right, Buck. Man, only no. Joe Buck regrets that he gave it to me. But I'm kidding <laughs> about Dougie? that. <laughs> no, I'm. I, 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 no, I, I don't think he does. He might. <laughs> he, but I don't think he does. I'll find out. I'll okay. find out. All right, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, for... I'm going to break that story. I'm going to break that story. <laughs> you see the headlines. All right, Joe Buck. 
my biggest regret. Yeah. Not and the then, Randy Moss thing. And then not your, the Randy Moss touchdown call. Yeah, it wasn't Artie Bang. No, it was. And then your bosses are going to, Andrew, can we see you, please? Uh, the clicks have uh, dropped by 10,000. They're going to be like, yeah. they'll say, you know, about, about that percentage, yeah. about that national to local percentage. Yeah, let's get back to local. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not do that story. Um, all right, man. Well, thanks right. for having me on. Thank Enjoy you, the conversation. Be well. Uh, Good luck right. with your health. Thank you. Talk to you soon. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes. All right, I want to thank Andrew for being on the podcast today. Really enjoyed that. Look forward to maybe having Andrew on the podcast again. That was really cool. Uh, Glad I reached out to him. Okay, Season 10 Book Club. First thing I want to do is I want to remind you guys of a book that we talked about during Season 9. It's called The History of the Future oculus facebook and the revolution that swept virtual reality it's by blake j harris who's a really good friend of the program he's also the author of a book called console wars uh, which was featured in our book club console wars is a documentary coming out that is going to be on the cbs all access and it's debuting at south by southwest this year and then there's going to be a limited run like television series based on the book as well. I'm really looking forward to all that. We never got a chance to talk to Blake about the history of the future. And I wanted to mention it because after I get better, after surgery, uh, we'll have Blake on again. Um, and we will talk to him about this book because we didn't get a chance really to get into it with him, catch up with him. There's a lot of great stuff going around console wars right now so i reached out to him yesterday and said hey as soon as i'm done with surgery let's do this um so if you're interested in the book it's called the history of the future oculus facebook and the revolution that swept virtual reality by blake j harris and of course my highest recommendations uh to console wars his first book all right with that said Something I want to do this year in Season 10, because Season 10, with it being the 10th season, I want to spend some time looking back at the history of the sportscasters. I mentioned we're going to play some old interviews. I want to have Don in for a show or two. Uh, I want to have Anthony do a co-host with me. I want to do three things a couple times like we used to do. Uh, I just want to kind of have a little bit of a retro feel to the season, do some stuff that we used to do but don't anymore have some voices on the show that we used to have and don't anymore. I want to, you know, reach out to people who are regulars but aren't anymore, like Damashek, uh, just whatever. And one of the things I also want to do is during the book club every once in a while, I want to quickly talk about a book that was part of the book club uh, earlier in the run. And the first one I want to talk about today uh, is Death to the BCS. Now, Death to the BCS is the reason there is a podcast. So if you haven't heard this story quickly, I'll tell you what happened was, is I was getting ready to be home full time and I wanted to do something to kind of occupy my time and something I thought of was a podcast. 
uh, during Christmas of 2010, I, um, or wait, yeah, yeah, like December of 2010, uh, I got a book called Deaths to the BCS, the 2011 edition, totally revised and updated. And uh, the authors of that, of course, were Dan Wetzel, Josh Peter, and Jeff Passan. I read the book and said, wow, that I got a lot of questions. That might be a cool idea for a podcast. I could have these guys who write these books or broadcast these games and talk to them. And I found out who was the publisher of the book. And I sent an email. And all of a sudden, Jeff Passan was booked to do an interview with me sort of before there was even a podcast. Uh, so I had to put my money where my mouth is. Now, some years later, I, I when I was talking to Jeff, I was like, you know, that book is really the start of the podcast and I'd love to kind of have a hardcover copy of it that you know maybe you could sign for me and he's I said if I bought one from Amazon had it shipped to you would you sign it and ship it back to me he's like oh no no no, I got one I got one and then a few days later sure enough in the mail a hardcover copy of Death of the BCS the definitive case against the Bowl Championship Series uh, and it's signed Mission and then in parentheses almost accomplished and it's signed by Jeff Passan uh, the first book in the history of the sportscasters. Uh, Dan Wetzel was eventually on the podcast. Josh Peters never been on. I don't think he's really in sports media, though. And, of course, Jeff Passan has been on several times. He's a good friend of the show. So I just wanted to bring that book up, Death to the BCS. You can go back and check it out and find out what was so shitty about the BCS and why uh, it needed to go. And um, now several years into the playoff, you can be the judge if we have a better or worse system. Uh, I will always say better. Two teams is just not enough. Um, you know, and there was always one team. You know, if you're the third team in the nation and you get left out, that sucks. You know, if you're the fifth team in the nation that gets left out, that sucks. If you're the ninth team that gets left out, that sucks. But not as bad as fifth and not as bad certainly as third. Uh, you, you know, no matter how many teams are in a playoff, you're always going to be mad you didn't make it if you're that last team out. And we have that debate everywhere with the the NCAA tournament for basketball. And they have over 60 teams. So that will always exist. But it doesn't hurt as bad to argue against the 66th team as it does a third undefeated team not being able to play for the national championship. That sucks. So I'm glad they have moved to a playoff. I hope someday they expand it to eight. Although you can make an argument they don't need to. All right, with that said, let's talk about Rush and the tragic passing of Neil Peart uh, with our friend Matt Crossman. We'll take a break, and Matt will be with us on the other side. Our next guest is a graduate of Central Michigan University. He lives in St. Louis. He's been coming on this show for a long time, first as a staff writer for Sporting News, 
and uh, then as a freelancer, and today really as a fan of the band Rush. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Matt Crossman. What's up, Matt? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? It's been a while. Yeah, it has been way too long. Not the best uh, circumstances for us to unite either. I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah, it's been a a strange couple of days. I would say this is the first, the death of Neil Neil Peart is the first celebrity death that I want to say I actually cared about because that makes me sound insensitive, but it's the first one that affected me emotionally uh, in in any real meaningful way. I know exactly what you mean, and I'm just one ahead of you because uh, the death of Chris Cornell was pretty comparable for me as well. But um, those are the like the two I have. Um, yeah. Oh, and Gord Downey um, of the tragic clips. So I guess I'm up to three, which is an unbelievable, strange coincidence that Gord Downey and uh, Neil Peart would have basically the same disease at the same time. I mean, two Canadian icons, like the singer from the biggest Canadian, but truly Canadian band of all time, the Tragically Hip, and you know, the greatest drummer. And you know, they basically had it at the same time. Neil lived a little bit longer, but yeah, well, yeah crazy coincidence there. Um, let's start in the beginning. We can we'll just kind of talk back and forth a little bit about our experiences and why this shook us. Tell me about your origins with Rush and how you became a fan and, and what happened there. Well, uh, I, I've, I've told this story before, uh, but I, I, can tra- I can trace it almost to the day. Uh, I know that it was sometime between June 30th and July 2nd of 1989. I can't remember exactly which day, but I lived in Michigan and I had a friend come visit me from out of state and he brought 2112 with him. It was so long ago, uh, CDs, uh, I don't think they existed yet. Uh, I certainly did not have CDs yet, so it was a cassette. And we listened to uh, 2112, especially the first, like the Overture and Temples of Syrinx, just over and over and over and over again. Um, And I mean, I was just blown away. I had never heard anything like that before. And the fact that the entire song was, I wasn't a, a fan of fantasy literature at the time, but I certainly was a big reader. And the fact that the entire song was a story, I didn't even know you could do that. Uh, And so, uh, I mean, I just got obsessed with them and worked through their, I didn't work through their catalog in any chronological order. I, you know, I've heard from some people who started with a particular album and either went backwards or forwards. I just kind of bounced around. But from then on, I mean, I, I listened to them so much. It was almost embarrassing. And, you know, I was thinking about this after he died, that there is not a single artist in any genre or any medium whose work I consumed or loved more. And that, that to me is why I think I was upset by his death is he had a big impact on my life. I mean, I thousands of dollars, thousands of hours, thousands of conversations were devoted to work that he created. So, so of course his death is going to upset me. Right. Yeah. For me is, you know, growing up, you know, my dad, a big you know rock fan and listening to bands in the car you know tapes he would play albums he would play and and one really interesting thing about rush was that they would always tell me that the exit stage left if you can picture the album cover there mm-hmm. kind of to the right of the girl there's a crowd there and uh the crowd was people from buffalo and so that because of that that was like a big thing here like, oh yeah i was on the exit stage left cover or 
I knew right. someone on the cover or, you know, I was at that show or whatever. Like that was a thing people would talk about. Um, and then when I started to get my own CDs, I bought that CD cause I like knew that story. And, um, you know, I played the songs I knew from it and then I just kind of grew from there. Kind of like you, you know, I'd go to, um, the wall or wherever I'd get a CD that day, you know, and I'd thumb through, they had so many, which is always like a draw to me, you know, like how do they have so many? You know, yeah. I, I have everything already from Soundgarden and Pearl Jam. They only have these four or five. This band is so many. And, um, yeah. you know, I would uh, just get one here or get one there or whatever until, you know, I got older and more serious and, you know, got them all. And um, and you'll agree with this, too. The interesting thing about them is the different eras and the evolution of them yeah. and how they're yep. almost like five different bands in a way. Yeah, I uh, and, you know on top of buying all their cassettes, uh, well, then I, after cassette, after you couldn't buy cassettes anymore, or after I got a CD player, then I had to go buy all of their CDs. So I bought all of their albums. Well, no, I, let me rephrase it. All of their albums through probably presto. I bought twice. Uh, because you know, you had to get the, right. most, the most current, uh, form. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you know, one of the, one of the things that struck me in one of the obits I read was somebody pointed out, you were talking about the different, you know, there's, you know, they were basically five different bands. Yeah is uh, from Permanent Waves, which is, you know, incredibly great, to Moving Pictures, which, uh, whether or not you think it's their best album, is definitely their most important uh, and their most critically acclaimed, right. to Signals, also great, and sort of the a, a pivot for the band. That all happened in two years. That's ridiculous. Right. That Permanent Waves came out in 1980, Moving Pictures came out in 1981 and Signals came out in 1982. To put out that much work, even if it sucked, would be incredible. But that's three of their absolute signature albums within three years. And you only have to go back to 1976 to get to 2112. So from 2112 to Signals is only six years. That's six preposterous, years. the amount right. of growth and development they went through. That's, no band does that today. A fun thing for me about them is... And, you know, you mentioned uh, buying everything twice. I think I've bought Permanent Waves six or seven different times. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I know I bought the CD along, you know, like, when I, like I said, when I was going through. I know I got it then. And I know I bought a remaster when they did the remasters that one time. And they were all the CD remaster. Like, I know I bought it then. And then I know I bought this, like, gold CD of it. And I think I have a record. Like, I, it's ridiculous. Um, so yes, they, they 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 like to reissue their stuff, and they also they are do. very good at making me feel like I need it again, uh, which is a credit. <laughs> uh, yep. Yes, I do need another permanent waves. You uh, know, I, I usually don't. Uh, I usually don't mess with the reissues or the remastered or the reproduced or whatever. But I remember reading that they didn't like the way Vapor Trails turned out, and right. so they re re whatever. And it is better. The much second better. one is better. Yeah, much better. You know, I totally agree. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I'm usually not a sophisticated. I don't. I usually don't have a sophisticated enough ear. Me neither. Uh, Me to neither. tell the difference. Yeah. To be honest with you, but, the, but that one, yeah, that one you listen to it, you're like, oh yeah, this is better. You know, I like the old one. I didn't know I needed it to be better, but yeah, this is better. Yeah, the the 40th anniversary CDs they've been putting out are really good. And the nice thing about CDs now is, you know, you can get them for. You know, I think these 40th anniversaries are usually two, three discs, and they're always less than 20 bucks. Uh, and uh, But 
what's great about the reissues now with streaming is you don't have to buy, you know, you, yep. have, you know, like I, that comes out at midnight. I just go to Apple music and boom, the 40th anniversary of 2112 is right on my phone there or whatever, you know? And, and like you know, it's I, funny you, you mentioned that yeah. when, uh, so I, I bought every from presto. Oh, I don't, I don't think that I, I didn't do this with clockwork angels, but from presto on, I bought them on the day they came out, you know, so I'm at the record store. I mean, it makes me sound like I, I rode my dinosaur to the record store. Yeah. Uh, and th- when uh, Roll of the Bones came out, uh, it was midnight at some record store in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, because I went to Central Michigan University. And Roll the Bones and Guns N' Roses' uh, Use Your Illusion came out on the same day. Wow. And so the record store, there Bad. was, <laughs> you know, five, you know, there was 500 people in the record store, 400 of them buying Guns N' Roses and 100 of them buying Rush. And I remember getting home. Because my uh, my roommate, who you know is one of my best friends in the world, uh, you know to this day, roommate, I, I'm not super close with him now because it's been so long. But you know we were super close. I remember thinking, am I going to have to fight him because he's as big of a Guns N' Roses fan as I am a Rush fan, and that's saying something because I was obsessed. So he right. knew. I mean, he was an absolute maniac for Guns N' Roses. And we get home at the same time with brand new CDs from our favorite bands with one stereo and we're like, you oh, know, no. a stand up, like who's going to win. Right. So, he's got a double but, uh, album too. <laughs> yeah. He needs and a he, lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he won because, uh, collectively I was, I was aware that collectively the, the world wanted to hear, uh, Guns N' Roses more than it wanted to hear Rush. So I didn't, uh, I didn't fight a big fight, but my, uh, uh, that's a fun movie. So two stories about that. My first CD I bought the day of that came out was Tess for Echo came out September okay. 10th, 1996. The only reason I know the exact date is my brother's birthday. And I remember okay. I fought and yelled and kicked for us to stop at the CD store on the way to my brother's birthday party so I could run in <laughs> and get Tess for Echo. Um, I had yep. just turned 16. So that was the first one I bought the day of. And then I have a, you were talking about the Guns N' Roses Rush thing. So uh, Pearl Jam's binaural album came out in 2000. And... Um, it was in May, early May of 2000, and we went to the the record store to get it at midnight. And also coming out that day was a new Britney Spears CD. Well, the funny thing about that is that the – I mean, Britney Spears just sold a lot of records, but I don't think she sold very many at midnight, right? Like, I don't know right. that, that it really – but I think the store thought that that was going to be the draw, so they – they come, um, they like had everyone lined up and then they did this thing where they had the the person like wheel the CDs by everyone like as like a presentation and they were wheeling the Britney Spears CDs by everyone to try to get like they thought everyone's be pumped and it was all people there to buy programs. So I was like, oh, boo, you know, like Hacklin. <laughs> I didn't see one person there. But and I, I heard like the managers talking like, yeah, no, everyone's here for a Pearl Jam. I, like. Good thing we opened. They're like, did anyone buy Britney Spears? Like, I don't think so. I was like, oh wow, they like totally miscalculated the draw there that night. Like, said, like you know, so, so, yeah, go ahead. Uh, semi-related story. Uh, when the last uh, Harry Potter book came out, uh, my wife and I had just had our first daughter, and uh, the way that my wife passed the time while nursing our daughter was by reading the Harry Potter's book, Harry Potter books, and she just peeled through them. I mean, she read the first six in, you know, very quick order. So when the seventh came out, you know, I was going to go buy it for her. And so same thing, I went to the bookstore at midnight and there was 400 little boys dressed as Harry Potter, 400 <laughs> little girls dressed as Hermione. 
and I was like 35 or 36 at the time and me. So yeah, I felt, I felt kind of creepy. I mean, I was there legit. I was buying it for my, uh, you know, my new mother wife, but similar kind of experience where there was, you know, a, a, a group of people with one expectation and then me. Yeah. Overnight feedings, uh, for me when, Obviously, I wasn't doing the nursing, but my wife would pump so because she, we split up, so I would stay up overnight with, and she would sleep, and I'd feed her the bottles, and I watched Deadwood, so. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, all right. So for fun, let's I'll throw this out, and then we can talk about my list a little bit. So Eddie Trunk on his show, um, his um, on Sirius, it's a great show actually. It's like he always says, sports talk for rock fans. It's on volume. Um, he does these top 20s. He'll, he'll narrow in on a band and he'll say, okay, you know, you got to give your top 20 in order for that band. They've done like Black Sabbath. They've done, oh, yeah. uh, who else have they done? Aerosmith, Black Sabbath, yeah. Van Halen, whatever. So they did rock. Yeah, so, you, you were, yeah, you were arguing with someone on my Facebook page after my Rush yeah, story came out, right? I don't yeah. think they liked my list. All right, so here's my list. Um, first, I'll start. I did put some honorable mentions on there. I'll mention them real quick. I had. Twilight Zone, Ghost of a Chance, Something for Nothing, The Trees, Between the Wheels, Force 10, Mission, Working Them Angels, Resist, and Nobody's Hero. Those just missed. All right, here's my 20. I'll go from 20 to 1. Test for Echo, The Wreckers, The Pass, Lessons, Dreamline, 15 Distant Early Warning, Animate, The Necromancer, uh, Bravado, Free Will, 10 Tom Sawyer, Limelight, Spirit of Radio, Fly by Night, Red Sector A, Five, Far Cry, Four, Red Barchetta, Three, Subdivisions, Two, Closer to the Heart, and One, Entre Naus. Although I don't speak Spanish, so that could be the wrong pronunciation. But um, yeah. yeah, I think what it, the argument on your page was that people were criticizing my list, which is fine, but they didn't have a list. Yeah. You know, it was like you want to make you want to pick at mine. That's fine. It's only my opinion. But where's your list? You pick yeah. at yours. Like Eddie Trunk's list, for example, which drove me nuts. Like I think he stopped listening to Rush in like nineteen eighty one. You know, I think he had like one song that wasn't, you know, before Signals or whatever. But Yeah. Yeah. So react to my list and tell me give me some songs and I'm not gonna you can't just spit out a top twenty, but give me some you think for sure would be on your list that you know, we wouldn't think of right away. You know, like Necromancer's sure. okay. on my list and I don't know you'd think for sure that that would be on my list or yeah, that, that's a that's a surprise. Right. I, I would say uh, lessons. I, I would not put lessons on there. Uh, I, I'm glad I did not hear Working Man. I think that is their uh, one of their worst popular songs. Um, you know, m- my my favorite. Uh, usually, if I'm forced, if somebody holds me down and forces me to pick a favorite, I usually say Natural Science. Okay, I love Natural late, Science late, too. It'll be in the top L- lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Late, yeah. Lately, I have found myself playing uh, Time Stand Still uh, a lot. Okay. Fr- frankly, I'm at the age where that feels like an appropriate song Fair. where it's about, you know, yeah. life is going too fast. Mm-hmm. I want to freeze this, you know, freeze this moment a little bit longer, make each, each sensation a little bit stronger. And I, I don't know that I would say that's their, you know, best, you know, their most exquisitely crafted song or it, it exposes their virtuosity or anything like that just the sentiment that is expressed in that song uh it speaks to me probably more than any other song they've written that's not to say that the music is my favorite uh certainly uh 
Limelight, Red Barchetta uh, would be on there. Free Will, Spirit Radio. Uh, you know, I've been listening to, I, I really like Marathon. Uh, I really like Territories. Uh, boy, but yeah. So if I had to pick, you know, for a long time, uh, I, I resisted moving pictures. At, you know, that's like saying uh, Stairway to Heaven is your favorite. Right. Uh, Zappos yeah. song. But, but now I think, you know what? That's just such great. It's got one song that I don't think is a 10, and that's Witch Hunt. Witch Hunt, yeah. Uh, every other song on there I think is phenomenal. So uh, I think the challenge in doing this, right, is how do you balance, like how much do you would you love Tom Sawyer if you didn't hear it 10 million times, right? Like what what yeah. part of that, how do you fit it? Like what part of it is fatigue um, and what part of it is, oh, I don't like it as much as, you know, but I mean, my favorite hit, I guess, is closer to the higher subdivisions. Like if you're, if yeah. those are hits, I guess. Um, and I still put them in the top five. So, I, but I love those so much. You know, like, yeah. Um, and I guess is Red Barchetta a hit? I guess that's in my top five too. You know, I, I would say it is. I think. I mean, it gets radio uh, play. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, well, the, the only way I would be able, to, the only way I would say you define a rush song is do they still play it on the radio? Right. And so you've got. You know, Red Barchetta is one of them, Limelight. You know, uh, I, I listen to La Via Strangiato a lot, uh, you know, m- mostly because when I've heard them talk about it, they talk about that just being the hardest Hard song yeah. yeah, to write and to play. And so I like to listen to it sort of as inspiration, you know, as a someone who's create, who attempts to be creative in his work, to yeah. sort of listen to how and, and imagine the work that went into it and the striving and the yearning you know, I think their best song, my favorite songs by them are very often the ones that are about ambition. You know, Limelight's about, uh, in a sense, Limelight's about ambition uh, being fulfilled and not liking the result, right? That, uh, you know, he works so hard to become famous, to, to become good enough to become famous, and then he finds out he really doesn't like being famous. Right. Uh, Mission, it, same thing. You know, Marathon, same, you know, similar similar idea. Um so yeah, but I I, I usually say I, it's very hard for me to uh, to pick a favorite. I would natural science is sort of my fallback, and and, I, and if it's number of times listened to, it's probably twenty one twelve. The song itself. So, yeah, yeah. the The fun thing about the, what was fun about doing what I did was I just went album to album and wrote down songs that could potentially make it, and I think I had yep. about sixty. You know, and then you <laughs> then you got to just start. So then you got to cut forty. You know, and um, yeah. and my guess is if I did it once a year, I would definitely have probably three or four different ones. You know, oh, like yeah. those yeah, me- those bottom few. Like I was really into the Wreckers because I thought it was one of my favorite songs on the last tour. You know, because on that last tour, the way they did it for anyone listening who doesn't know they they started with the last album and went. Um, or the most recent album, and then went all the way to I guess Working Man was last, um, and that for it was interesting because like the first five, you know, seventy percent of the crowd, you know, are like Eddie Trunk. They haven't bought a CD since you know, uh, I guess um, Counterparts. I don't think anyone knew a song yeah. until uh, Animate, um, and I just thought the records was just so great in that in that um, and that window, I just thought it was so good. So I was really into that for a while. If I did it again, I might forget the records, you know, or I might think like, oh, I like, you know, like natural science better right now, or I like, um, yeah. you know, um, Twilight Zone, or because I love those weird songs on twenty one twelve. 
I know you said you wouldn't have list, like lessons, but I love how they have like the this this twenty minute epic, and then there's like these four um, short songs that get forgotten about. Yeah. I just love all those songs. I love something for nothing. I love um, what's the slower one? Tears is that what that's called? Yeah, tears. Yeah, yeah. That, I maybe yeah. like that one the least, but um, I like it still. Um, the as for Neil specifically, um, you know, you mentioned limelight, and there's that famous line um you know i can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend and i read in the one obit they talked about how he would you know quietly just disappear from the shows and how he lived his life the same way i think that was the national in canada kind of had that as their lead um and for me it just kind of made him a little bit mysterious and um also as someone who didn't do a lot of talking but he let his talking, I still feel like I know a ton about him, right? Especially if you read his books, they're very personal. So it's not like he shut you yeah. out. He just kind of yeah. did it his way, right? You know what I mean? It's unique that way. He's he's not available, but he. I know, still feel like I know more about him than Alex, who's very available. Yep, that's it. You know? Yep, that, that's a really interesting observation that I, I noticed in the obits, he was very often described as intensely private. And I'm not sure that that's 100% right. Because yeah, his, no. I, I read uh, The Masked Rider, I read Ghost Rider, and I read part of one of the other ones. And those were not intensely private. They were incredibly personal. I mean, especially Ghost Rider. That, I mean, he buried his soul in it. So I, I think uh, I, I think he wanted you know, to reveal himself on his own terms, as, as you said. But I don't think intensely private. I, I think until he released Ghost Rider, intensely private would have been correct. After Ghost Rider, uh, I don't think that was true at all. Which, by the way, uh, that would be on my list as well. I, there's something just absolutely haunting right. about that song. That I, uh, I mean, I can still I can remember. I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I heard uh, "One Little Victory" and how excited I was for it to come out, and just how like blown. I mean, it didn't sound. It barely even sounded like Rush, at least in the beginning. Uh, so yeah, go, I would put Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider would usually be, if not in my top twenty, it would be you know top twenty-five. I don't know if you re- uh, read Traveling Music, but you have to read that one. Um, the soundtrack to my life and times. It's it chronicles one of the tours, um, but it goes back and forth, and he just talks about music that he likes, and within the music he likes, he tells the story kind of of his life. Um, mm-hmm. it's really great. You learn a lot about him through that one. I don't know if that's, she said you just read a few. I haven't read them all either. I know I read that one. I know I read Roadshow and I know I read Ghost Rider. Yeah, I think Roadshow, I, I have to be honest, I didn't love his books. Uh, you know, he sometimes came well, off as a little, it's ar- a different a little arrogant, a little, too, right? yeah, like, a little condescending. You, yeah. yeah, that's fair. I was just going to say, I'm sorry, I was talking over you there, but like, do you read if it wasn't Neil Peart, would you ever think to read a travel log like that? I don't think I would. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I would read a bike. Uh, uh, I would read uh, if an author I liked wrote a book about riding his bicycle across Africa. Yeah, I would read that. You would. Okay. Uh, I would. Uh, I would have to. I, I don't think I would pick it up from a stranger. I think it would have to be right. uh, a long awaited friend. Sorry. Right, right. Uh, it would have to. <laughs> it would have to be somebody, somebody I was already familiar with. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, that would be a subject that would interest me. Uh, but yeah, if I, I've, I've wondered about that, that what was the, the music one called the, uh, 
the one that's the soundtrack. What did, what did you say it's called? Oh, hold on. I got it right here. Um, traveling Music. My, yeah, that one, the that soundtrack one. of my yeah. life and times. And like I said, there is the travel element where, you know, it's, I forget what tour it was. It might have been the, um, the, um, Vapor Trails tour, maybe. It was yeah. one of those later tours and he does talk about, you know, and then I went from this show to this show. I think he was doing motorcycles on that, on that tour. Um, but then it, it switches kind of back and forth. And then it'll go like, oh, and then there was this police song that I liked and, you know, um, Neil's also great in like the documentary. Like he's really, you know, yeah. so it's like when he wanted to be open and wanted to, he was so, he was really good when he wanted to, he just didn't want to do it. Maybe the way some people wanted him to. Um, yeah. That's another great observation. Yeah. I watched that, uh, uh, beyond the lighted stage. Oh, I watched so Saturday good. night. It's so good. I mean, there, uh, I normally don't care. Like if other people like what I like, you know, you like what you like, you don't like what you do like, whatever. Uh, but I found that when it first came out and again on Saturday to be incredibly affirming, like it made me happy to be a Rush fan, to yeah. see all these other people who also were Rush fans. But you're right. He was, he was a great interview. And, you know, I read a bunch of tributes to him from journalists who had gotten to know him even just a little bit. And they all said the same thing that, you know, they were nervous before the interview because his reputation is such and such. But then I talked to him and he was great. You know, he was, I wasn't nervous at all. He was fine. It was, you know, completely normal. And the, that, uh, you know, Rolling Stone did the famous cover story on them, however many years ago it was now. And I think the writer had this, I remember just being blown away by the section that was about Neil and how accommodating he was with the writer and the writer saying basically for a guy with a reputation that his ex, he sure wasn't that at all. So yeah, he's a, I mean, we're all bundles of contradictions, but I think the, the older he got, the more apparent his contradictions became. The uh, thing I, I love that sticks out, and I mention it all the time to people from the documentary, I think it's Jack Black who makes this great analogy about bands and the bottle of ketchup. Do you remember that? He's like, every band is like a bottle of ketchup, and when they start, they they tip the ketchup bottle, and some bands only have enough ketchup in that bottle for one song or one album. He's like, but Rush has been tipping that bottle, you know, over and <laughs> over. I always think about that yeah. with bands now. You know, I'm like, oh, they're out of ketchup. You know, that's it. Yeah. It's like the jump the shark for music to me. It's like, oh, they're out of ketchup. Yep. But yeah, oh, that's, they, they, the people who made that documentary are pretty, they make do rock documentaries. That's what they do. And they have one coming out about Triumph. I'm looking forward to that. So I was a Triumph fan. Oh, did they do that one? I, I saw it that was coming out. I didn't yeah, know it was by the same Yeah, people. it's those guys are in charge of that one. And I can't remember what other ones they've done, but they've done a bunch of rock ones. I know a few that I've seen, and they are really good at it, so. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, luckily uh, the Pearl Jam documentary came out. Cameron Crowe did that. So that was in good hands. Um, but if yeah. you can't get Cameron Crowe, for sure, these guys are really good. Um, yeah. If you hear your band is doing it. Uh, one last thing about Rush, and I want to do a few minutes on what you're up to. Cause, uh, sure. Uh, let's um, uh, sum up for me um, kind of. Uh, okay, so here's how we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it like this. There's this. Everyone always says to me, oh, if you ever met Eddie Vedder or guys from Pearl Jam, what would you ask them? I always go to this. They did this um, sort of short one-hour documentary of like behind the scenes of them making the album Yield. And the guy who's doing it, you can hear him off camera say to um, Eddie Vedder, he says, um, you know, Pearl Jam means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, what does it mean to you? And, you know, I just is like thinking about it. And he doesn't answer. It cuts. It goes to something else. So I'd always love to see what he said. So, uh, 
I'll say to you, Matt, um, Rush means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, what does it mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say it means to me, uh, what, what I get from them is uh, an, an affirmation about the, the mixing creativity uh, and hard work. Uh, to me, what they symbolize is virtuoso playing, which you can't get without just working your butt off. That To become the virtuosos that they were takes hours, takes work, it takes striving, period. You don't, uh, yes, they might have been born with some talent, but like an athlete, they had to hone it, they had to work at it. But then you add in just the unbelievable creativity that they displayed. And uh, I mean, I just think it's just, it's just super encouraging uh, to listen to and to study and to ponder and to wonder at these three guys who uh, just made this incredible body of work of just, to, to me, it, it, it sounds like effort. That's the word that I always come back to with them. That it's not like if you, you like you listen to Eddie Van Halen play a guitar solo, and it 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 sounds like natural and joyful. But if you listen to, to Rush, it sounds like genius meets hard work. Right. Yeah, it's a great point. I, and you mentioned Eddie Van Halen. He's the guy I always thought I'd wake up one day from a nap and go on Twitter and find out he died. I never knew it would be Neil. Yeah. And it's this unbelievable, yep. I think, I was telling my wife this, it's an unbelievable just, Getty Lee just did a book tour. Like I heard several interviews with him, and he's carrying yeah, around the I. burden of this secret and never even gives a hint anything could yep. be wrong. The only thing he even said that made news was that he, you know, he mentioned that, I think on one of Eddie Trunk's interviews, actually, that not only was Neil... You know, not he didn't have drums anymore. That he was like not drumming, um, but it's just such a display of friendship uh, yep. and family. I agree that yep. this did not leak even a hint in the year 2020, right? Nobody that knew this, and there, it had it. to be yep. a good handful of people knew the secret. I mean, you got to figure it was at least 30 human beings knew, you know, if not yep. more, and it never leaked. I was completely blindsided, um, which was. A hard way to find out but when i sat and thought about it i was like wow what love and dedication yeah. to a friend and what yep. it, what it, what is what does it say to those guys that nobody even a guy on a book tour you know was able to carry that burden i just thought that that was kind of a beautiful end to the story yeah. so to speak but you know, one, one one more one more yeah, observation go, i'll add along sure. the same line yeah uh, you know i was blindsided like you uh strangely enough i i uh you know i saw it on facebook like probably lots of people posted by basically the only Canadian friend I have who isn't even a Rush fan. I thought that was funny that I heard it from a Canadian. But after a couple of days of thinking about it, uh, like, you know, when you first see it, you know, uh, Rush drummer, you know, Neil Peart dies at 67. My first thought was motorcycle accident, right? Uh, I, I don't think that's okay. a, yeah. a leap. And then I, you know, frankly, you thought, well, did he, did he, you know, before you click on it, when you're, you, we have two seconds to think, you think it's something immediate because you would have known right. if he was sick yeah. when you click on it. Okay. He wasn't sick. He had been, or he wasn't, it wasn't, uh, sudden, uh, you yeah. know, sudden. Right. And then you think that, that, that poor man suffered. Yeah. And that made me even sadder, you know, that even though I don't know him and he's, I did something about the thought of this hero of mine succumbing and becoming less of what he was 
made me even sadder than if it had been a tragic accident. So, and like the saddest part too is you know he he lives this life. He works so hard. He has a a wife who wasn't exactly a wife, and then a daughter, and they both die in 1997, like a year yep. apart. And then he gets a new wife and a new family, and he works and works and works. And in 2015, he says, "Okay, that's it. I'm going to retire. I'm going to spend." You know, time with them, and like within a year, he finds us out. And his last three years, you know, yep. are spent that way. But rest in yep, peace. That sucks. Yeah, yep. the the greatest to do it, um, for sure. Uh, rock drummer. I I didn't, don't even want to argue. I, I wouldn't even argue with anyone. I'm like, okay, you don't think so? Fine, but you're not going to convince me yeah. otherwise that he wasn't the greatest uh, rock drummer and a great band. And uh, I appreciate you taking a trip down memory lane with me on that. We had to do it today. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. It was a, a joy to do it. I appreciate being asked. It's nice to be able to share something so important to me with other people. Now, with that said, and there's no easy transition out of that, but I do want to talk to you for a few minutes about what you've been up to because we met, um, so to speak, we met back when you were at Sporting News. You were kind of a staff staff writer, I guess, there, a senior writer, whatever the yep. term was for it. Uh, at Sports yep, staff writer, uh, that's right. Yeah, staff writer at sporting news which is something that i got in my mailbox for years and years back when it was a paper um i used to look so forward to coming home and having that folded up paper um and uh i remember the first year i played fantasy football i did my stats for the week out of the back of the uh sporting news that would come to my house every week um, oh, yeah. back a few years right yeah i think it was like 1991 or my freshman year of high school or a little earlier than that something like that um <laughs> But that's how we met, and then you transitioned from someone on a staff to someone on a, as a freelance and acquiring clients and doing all these incredible journeys, and it's kind of fun to follow you. Um, and I'll tell you that right now that the seven or eight or nine months it took me to finally read the golf interview or uh, article was the most frustrating right. nine months uh, as a fan of the work of Matt Crossman because you took me through this journey – you know, every day the videos and then it's like it happened and then it's just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I messaged you. I'm like, is anyone going to be able to read this? And you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, it's on this thing. But finally it came around. But anyway, what's up with the uh, with the business as uh, uh, the freelance guy? How's it going? Uh, you sent me a few pieces I read. I know you did a cover piece for NASCAR magazine. You do a lot with NASCAR still. Yeah. Um, what's it like out there in 2020? Um, as a freelance well, guy, uh, as any freelancer, it's almost like trying to answer what's your favorite Rush song. Uh, the answer is it depends. Uh, you know, some days it is the uh, best and most fulfilling and most uh, satisfying time of my career, which might be why I'm listening to Time Stand Still so much. And then, frankly, sometimes it sucks great big in great big, huge ways. And uh, I wonder when I'm ever going to get out of it. Uh, the, the, the fun part is uh, I get to, uh, I, I've had a, a very fortunate sequence of events where I've had stories such as the hole in one you're talking about, where I convinced the golf magazine to uh, pay me to write a story uh, for which I would spend the summer playing the same par three course near my house over and over and over again, either until I got a hole in one or until the three month time limit uh, expired. So basically I was getting paid to go play golf uh, as often right. a- as I wanted. Uh, and I've also developed a little bit of a niche as a travel and adventure writer. So various magazines are sending me 
all over the country to do really uh, exciting stories. Uh, and you know, that, that part of it is great, but every once in a while you run out of work and you, you don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from. Right. Uh, I have to buy my own insurance. Uh, so those, uh, those stresses are, those are true for everybody. And I, I have come to the conclusion that, uh, even though I don't have like a, a regular, you know, air quote job or a, you know, all the people who do, those are all transitory. You know, everybody can get laid off at any time. And so many of my friends have been laid off since I was laid off that I no longer in my, in my wisest moments, I no longer, you know, think of having a job as the great comfort that it once was because the, the world has just changed so much. Right. Uh, so that's kind of a long answer to your question, but yeah, it's uh, when it's going good, it's great. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I am going to Hawaii, which is going to be uh, state number 50 for me. So I'm excited about that. I had sort of set that as a personal goal that I wanted to uh, both as a personal and a professional go to every state in the country. And, you know, I'm going to achieve that. And on top of that, I get to go to Hawaii. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad way to make it. I know that in the, in the context of, you know, making widgets, the widgets that I get to make are pretty damn cool. So did you, have an opportunity at any point to take a job somewhere, uh, you know, like you defined it like a, uh, uh, you know, a staff, have you had a chance to be on a staff anywhere? Like, has that opportunity come up and you said, no, no. I'm going to stay doing this or do you just not even really pursue it? So how would it come up? Yeah. The, the second one, yeah. uh, right. Out, so I got, I got laid off in March, the very end of March of 2013. So coming up on seven years ago, and that was the media business was still in pretty bad shape then. And I kind of looked and I had had at that point, I had 19 years of experience. And so I looked at the landscape and thought nobody's hiring uh, a magazine writer with 19 years of experience. The only two places that would have made sense at the time for me to take a full-time job would have been sports illustrated or ESPN, the magazine. And, and, we know and how that would have out. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so even, even if that, that had happened, which it right. wasn't going to, but even if it had, I'd be, I'd be gone from there anyway. Right. For sure. So, you know, I, I was, I was pretty terrified for a good long while about what to do with myself. And probably after six months or so, I decided, okay, I'm going to try to do this freelance stuff. So I just put my nose to the grindstone and just started working as hard and as fast as I could. And that went pretty good, but I burned out and then I had a couple of really bad years. And I think now I have found a balance between working hard enough to make the right amount of money uh, in order to provide for my family with, you know, working 60 hours a week and writing 800 stories in a year. Uh, that, I don't want to do that either. Right. So anyway, they, oh, so, so anyway, they, your question was, have I, I, I haven't really pursued a full-time right. job. I just, I don't see my reading of the market. I mean, I check job boards every now and then. Frankly, I almost never see one that I would even apply for. The types of jobs I would get, they, they really don't come up. Somebody just brings you on. And the way the market works, I just, frankly, I don't see that happening. I guess in my head, I was thinking like maybe the one time you do a story for, you know, Publication X and then they're like, hey, we have this thing. Would you want to do this? And, you know. Um, it, it's more, it, it's, it's close to that. It's more yeah. like I do a story for Publication X and then they ask, they keep asking you to do one at a time. Uh, but to bring me on full time, I just, I don't really think that's going to happen. Right. And, and, and like you said, and, and you know, let's say you would have taken a job in 2013 at Sports Illustrated, ESPN, the magazine, neither of them barely exist. ESPN, the magazine doesn't yeah. exist at all. And Sports Illustrated's a right. shell of what it was. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
do you have a favorite story that you've done in the seven years uh, that just makes you grateful that it went this way? You know, one that is everything that uh, makes, you know, freelance great. It was exemplified through this one job. Oh, boy. I'll give you three. Okay. Uh, the first would be uh, the story that the first story, I think it's the first one I sold. I think I sold it the day after I got laid off. And I'm, I'm, I would bet that you've read it. Uh, it's about the way in which my youngest daughter was born. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. I remember. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it ran at SB Nation. The headline was How NASCAR Saved My Daughter. Yep. And it's a, I, ho- I hope, funny and I hope insightful story about driving like a maniac to get my wife to the hospital so that our baby would be born. And we basically made it literally five feet inside the hospital. And the baby was born right there in the lobby of the hospital. <laughs> So, so the fact that that would be one of my favorites, that's putting your thumb on the scale. It's about the birth of my daughter. Of course, okay. that's going to be one of my favorites. Let me ask you a question. Um, Hold on. Let me stop you real sure. quick on that. What does your daughter think of that story? Like, uh, not the, she, think it's, she, think it's, she think it's hilarious. She does. Yeah, like, is she, she proud it. of the fact that she was born, like, three feet into the hospital? Like, is that, like, a badge of honor for her? Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a men's workout group uh, in which uh, it's called F3. All of the men... Uh, part part of the shtick is everybody gets a nickname and every once in a while we will have a kid's workout where then the kid gets a nickname. And in the men's version, you don't get to pick your name. It's given to you. And if you complain, we're going to make it that much worse. Uh, <laughs> but we don't do that with the kids. We let the kids pick their nicknames. And we, uh, my dad nicknamed her the dangler because <laughs> when she was born, she was literally dangling there. Uh, and so that, anyway, the reason I tell you all that is that was what she chose as her own nickname. So yeah, she, she embraces the story. That's great. Okay. What are the other two? Uh, the, other, the, the, the second one would be the hole in one story. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to spoil the ending, but, yeah, so uh, you know, the story has been out for a year. I, I got the hole in one. Yeah. So, uh, being able to, uh, there are parts of that story I don't love, but the, the section of the story in which I tell the story of how the hole in one came about is one of, I mean, that was one of the top top moments of my life. The the dangler happened to be with me. I was going to say, your so daughter I, was there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I got a hole-in-one with my daughter, and it was just, you know, I, I, I was proud of that story that I thought of it. I was proud that I was able to sell it. And, you know, at the risk of sounding self-indulgent, how many journalists are going to sell a story about trying to get a hole-in-one and then freaking get it? Yeah, it's awesome. So, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it, but, but then probably the, the stories that aren't about me, uh, I did one, Probably my my favorite one uh, is oh it's a, on a a green beret who was uh, shot four times in Afghanistan uh, thought he was going to bleed to death right there on the battlefield. There's just an absolutely positively incredible recovery story so that he didn't bleed to death, and then he had this long and arduous recovery process. And part of the recovery process was that he bought himself. Uh, a Porsche, uh, you know, but basically because he always loved Porsches and he retired from the army. So he bought himself a Porsche to just to drive it. And then he started taking uh, high performance driving lessons and discovered that driving his Porsche on a racetrack really helped with his PTSD. And I mean, I, I, I like that story, not necessarily because of what it, it had nothing to do with me. That was because the sequence of events in that man's life are just freaking incredible. Yeah. So, wow. That, that that's my favorite one. Why did you leave Twitter? I missed the power rankings. Uh, I, I left Twitter. Uh, 
I'm going to tell you the, the long version. I, I went, I took a trip to Italy. This would be another one of my favorite stories. I took a trip to Italy in search of uh, family history and uh, <laughs> visited the small town in Italy where my great grandfather had grown up and uh, left there uh, lamenting that my great grandfather had not left any diary. He had not left any letters. I know absolutely nothing about him that I can't read on a death certificate basically. And so I started to think, uh, what would people, you know, what, if my great grandkids a hundred years from now went looking for me, what would they find? And the first thing I thought of was my stupid Twitter account, uh, where I, you know, just post inane, whatever. And I thought, that's not what I want. That's not what I want to leave behind. Uh, and so, and I'd already, uh, I don't like it as a medium because the second something happens, everybody's screaming at each other. And I just think it's collectively, collectively has hurt our public discourse, but just me personally, I, I sort of felt like, uh, I try very hard to craft these stories that I work very hard on, but then I, I tweet something after thinking about it for 13 seconds. And I might, I'm just not sure that my Twitter persona represented me the way I would like to be seen, uh, so I just thought I'm I'm just going to quit that and you had a good save shtick, myself some time. You should come. You should come yeah, back. You, know, you should create a power rankings Twitter. So yeah, doesn't you know, even have to be I, you. Like uh, you know, power rankings. Just to, you know, just to do that shtick because that was good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, at, at the risk of sounding vain or or, or too self indulgent, <laughs> I did a power rankings years ago where I, I power ranked spices. Okay. And I, I spent about 14 seconds thinking about it. And usually when I did power rankings, I would try to come up with some weird thing As to rank last. Down. Yeah. For, yeah. For, for no reason. Right. So I put cumin, I, I don't really care about cumin at all, but I thought it would be funny to rank cumin like 987. I don't remember what the number was. I bet you, I got more response, uh, to, I mean, people would start, people were, have texted me pictures of cumin at the growth. That was like six or eight years ago. <laughs> people still make like people who like you thought my power rankings were funny. They still will say something to me about cumin. I'm sorry. <laughs> I offended spend, Mrs. Cumin, huh? Well, I spent like, like the, the story I was just describing to you about the green brain. I, I spent like a month working on that story, right? No, more than a month. I, just pouring over every word. And yet, yeah, you put it out into the world and you think you're going to, you think you, your, your hope is that you will have this profound impact on people's lives when they read this incredible story of this man's resilience and how he's come back from near death. But nobody says Jack about that story, just but cute. you make a dumbass joke about cumin and, and okay. people are, gotcha. are, are joking about it with you for years. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I don't, that started to, it's almost started to bug me like, I, I don't want to be known as a guy who makes jokes about human. Fair so. enough. Well, how do we find these incredible stories that you, is there, you do have a professional Facebook, right? That we can follow. And I, I do. I, there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a, pro, I have a, a professional Facebook page, uh, mattcrossman.com. I don't update it as much as I should, but that has my best work on it. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the Facebook page, which is, you know, you can find me at Matt Crossman and then the, uh, mattcrossman.com would be the other one. Awesome. Anything else you want to promote or mention before I let you go? I've got one story coming out uh, this month. It's in a magazine called uh, Cowboys and Indians, which is uh, a funny name for a magazine, but it's uh, a lifestyle magazine that covers the West. And they sent me to Colorado last year on an adventure assignment. And so I went 
let's see, I went downhill skiing, cross country skiing, snowboarding, ice fishing. Uh, I, I entered a fat tire bike race and I went, uh, ice climbing in it. So I'm super excited about that story. They, uh, I took a friend along with me. And so the headline is like Matt and Andy's excellent adventure or something like that. But basically my best friend and I, my best friend in the world and I got to go to Colorado for a month and uh, I got to write about it. So I'm excited awesome. for that to come out. Awesome. Matt, I love talking to you. Uh, you're one of the true nice guys I've, I've met uh, doing this over the last nine years. Thank you for coming on and um, have fun in Hawaii. And uh, I wish you nothing the best about the best on your uh, journey as a freelancer. And if I come to St. Louis uh, this spring, we'll have to link up for sure. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the time. I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I want to thank Matt Crossman and Andrew Marchand for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can find this, the debut of Season 10, and the first nine seasons of the podcast on our SoundCloud feed at www.soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters, and you can email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, we are available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify. And if you can give us a five-star review, that is appreciated. If you have any idea why episodes are disappearing from my feed and can give me some technical advice on that, that'd be great too. Don't forget greetings from Allentown, our friend Peter Winson, uh, my co-host of the Adams Division podcast, which we're overdue to do an episode. Uh, you can find him at GF Allentown Pod on Twitter. He has a new episode out right now. 1992 WCW podcast. Uh, check that out. Don't forget about our boy Adrian Dater, ColoradoHockeyNow.com, at A Dater on Twitter, at COL Hockey Now. Also, Place to Be Nation, our buddies over there, they're doing a tournament to find the best sitcom of all time. Uh, you can vote for that daily at PlaceToBeNation.com. Find them on Twitter at Place the Number Two. B Nation. All right, with all those plugs out of the way, uh, let's see. I mentioned that there's. I want to do something in that first segment uh, to kind of get a little bit more of my opinion on what's going on week to week. Uh, so we're probably going to do that. I mentioned that we're going to have some of old interviews replayed uh, from the first nine seasons of the Sportscasters. And I also mentioned that during the um, book club, I want to look back at some older books uh, from the book club as well. So all that is in the plans for season 10. And, of course, I'm going to book my ass off. Uh, I'm going to try to book the biggest and the best guests like I do every year. Uh, I just try to book a great show as good as I can. I think that's the strength of the show is getting great people on and doing great interviews with them. That's what I always try to do. So I'm going to continue to do that. And thank you to everyone who's listened to even one second of this. Uh, I appreciate it. It's important to me, uh, and it keeps me going when uh, I'm not going great personally. So one last thing from today, and I, I thought that it's probably most appropriate 
uh, to talk about my surgery tomorrow. It's my third surgery in 289 days. And um, since 2003, let's see, I had my appendix surgery, my first bowel resectioning, my gallbladder, uh, a Nissen fundoplication surgery, a second resectioning, a third resectioning, my reversal of the ileostomy, and then tomorrow. That's going to be eight surgeries in you know 15 years, a little over 15 years. So that's a lot, and uh, it's felt like a lot, and it feels like a lot to do three in 289 days. Uh, I'm not crying. I, I don't whine about the hand I've been dealt. Sometimes I'm grateful. Uh, I've said in the past that in some ways I feel like being the one who's sick has shielded people around me from being sick. You know, I have two brothers, and if it had to be one of us, I'd, I want it to be me. I, I am good at taking on that burden. It's been difficult this time around, this last 289 days, and I've said this before, it's been difficult because of Paula now and her awareness and her missing daddy, and that was especially true the first time. Um, we did make a positive out of it. You know, she's become Paula the mini nurse and, uh, she likes to take care of daddy and, you know, it's becoming kind of normal to her that sometimes daddy has to go to the hospital and when daddy's gone, she can sleep in my spot. Uh, it's maybe not as scary as it was that first time. Uh, but you can tell today she's nervous. You know, you can tell she's worried uh, that she's going to miss me and that, that makes it harder. It makes it harder because I don't want, you know, I, I have said this for a long time that some of the hardest parts of this has always been how it's affected other people. You know, the sadness on my mother's face or, you know, things like that are tough uh, because I can handle whatever. Um, they kind of can't scare me. You know, I've been through so much that there isn't much that can be thrown at me uh, that really scares me. Obviously, colon cancer scares me. I don't ever want to have that. But, um, you know, I'm a pretty good patient. I can be demanding. Um, I'm really finicky about what I like and what I want and the pain relief I want. And I fight for myself. Uh, and I don't think everyone does that. And that can sometimes take doctors and stuff, you know, take them back. You know, uh, probably I'm not for everyone. But you know, I always say if you're going to go into the hospital, you better advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it. You know, like no one else is looking around there, like thinking like, you know, what does this guy need for sure? Like, they're going to tell you what they think you need. But if you need more than that, there's probably not going to be anyone in the room looking to uh, fight for you for that. You have to do that yourself. You need to make sure you're speaking up for yourself, what you need, what you want, uh, and doing the best to get it. You know, you don't always get your way, but you certainly got to make your case and fight for it. So, like, tomorrow I'm supposed to get there at 9. I'll get there at 9. The surgery supposed to be at 11. It probably won't be at 11. You know, uh, something will make it later. And there's like a 40% chance we'll do this with a laser. We probably won't. You know, it, it just, I've never kind of had that luck. Now, last time, I will say this. My last surgery, we did do it robotically. And that was, there was only a chance we'd be able to do it robotically. And we did it. And that's the first time they ever said there's a chance it could be easier because of this. And this actually happened. But, you know, I'll go in there tomorrow and um, I will be nervous. There will be some nervous energy. 
and I will make jokes because that's kind of a defense mechanism and I will goof around with the anesthesiologist because I like to do that. I like to try to remember them and I like to tell them about how I like to remember them and I will enjoy uh, the medication that the anesthesiologist gives you for the six seconds before it puts me out. And uh, then I will wake up and know that that first 12 hours will be very difficult. Uh, And then I'll just, you know, I'll just deal with it. And um, in a few days, I'll come home and then I'll have a tough day or two at home. And it just, you know, the one thing about surgery is, you know, that every minute after it, it just, it's easier. It's better somehow, you know, recovery starts right away. You know, they wheel you into something called recovery right after. You know, and they'll wheel me in there, and I know that I'll be a little bit better when I get to my room than I was in recovery. And, you know, by the time I leave the hospital, I'll be better than I was in it. And by the time I go to my first follow-up appointment, I'll be better than I was in the hospital. It just kind of, you know, rolls like that. Hopefully I won't get an infection. You know, I've gotten them a few times now. Hopefully I can avoid that. I avoided it last time. Uh, But I'm just going to do my thing. And uh, the, the podcast will be obviously dark uh, for, you know, as long as it takes me to be healthy enough to do it. I know there's been a lot of start and stop around here, and I hate that. And hopefully in 2020, this will be the only time season 10 has to start. And we can get close to being weekly or bi-weekly and really just kind of roll and do 30 or 40 episodes this year. As opposed to the 20 to 25 that we've been doing the last few years. But... Thanks again to everyone who listens. You know, thanks to everyone who will be thinking about me and praying for me tomorrow and uh, during my recovery from this surgery. You know, thanks to my family. It's a great one. You know, Tammy was on today, even though she kind of bombed. But, uh, you know, she's a great wife. And Paula's a great daughter. And Colston's a great dog. And I'm really a blessed guy. I mean, these surgeries suck, but it's nothing I can't handle. So thank you. From the bottom of my heart. uh, And we will be back as soon as we can.
be mine.